Good morning. Last week we started a brand new sermon series, first Sunday of the year, so we looked at, it's called Wonder Women, and we looked at the very first woman of the Bible, appropriately enough, we looked at Eve. And the big lesson from last week really was your biggest failure, and certainly Eve had a big failure, you could call her the mother of all failures, was Eve, but your biggest failure doesn't have to define you. Your worst moment doesn't have to be your, the, your defining moment. In fact, we looked at Adam and Eve's story and we saw how God didn't throw up his hands after their great sin and said, all right, I'm done with you, I'm through with you, that's it, never again will I talk to you again. No, in fact, God still showed mercy and grace to Adam and Eve just as God will show mercy and grace to you. Your worst moment doesn't have to be your defining moment. Well, this week we're going to go into another story found in the Old Testament, found in the book of Genesis, the story of Sarah and Hagar. Now, I've preached lots of times on Sarah, and her story is kind of a fun story, you know, 90-year-old Sarah having a baby, Isaac, that's great. Probably the closest thing that, that we've added to that in modern times is a lady in India on April 19th, 2016, I'm sure I'm not going to say her name correctly, Dalja Indakur was 70 years old. Carla, there's still hope. We could number three there's no hope <laughs> my brother says it took him three kids to realize he only wanted two so i don't want to make that mistake <laughs> he says that with my niece around anyway so on april 19 2016 delja had a baby boy named armin which means wish in hindi i don't know if they were wishing for armin or not but that's what they named him and she gave birth to him the father a 79 79 year old guy by the name of mohinder singh gill which i think that means oh no what have we done <laughs> 70 years old sarah still had her beat by 20 years now again, when you're reading the story of when it gives birth, Abraham responded to the news that 89-year-old Sarah was pregnant by the way we would expect a 99-year-old man to, to, to respond. He fell on the floor laughing, fell on the ground laughing. Sarah had her own case of the giggles when she heard the news. And, and she was thinking, you know, an 89-year-old woman pregnant, now, now, now I'm going to have a baby. Imagine if one of our 89-year-olds came into senior game day, every, every uh, the third, you know, Thursday, this week is senior game day. If you're a senior doll, do you want to play some games and eat a potluck dinner? You show up here at the church at 10 o'clock and they have game day. So can imagine, 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 if, if an 89-year-old lady came into game day as they're all playing skip bow and dominoes and over the skip bow saying, you know what, I went to the doctor yesterday. Yeah, what did the doctor say? Well, is it your gout? Is your gout acting up? No, it's not my gout. Arthritis causing you trouble? No, it's not my arthritis. Osteoporosis? No, that's not it. What's the problem? Well, he said, I'm going to have a baby. Can you imagine? They would have called 911 and she'd be in memory care next week. 80, 90 year old Sarah having a baby. I love that. You know, it's just a, it's fun for me to talk about. But but you think about the, the the circumstances today. If a ninety year old woman had a baby, would her prenatal vitamins be geritol? I don't know. If they gave her a baby shower, would she get a stroller or a walker? I don't know. When she, when 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 Isaac was a year old, who had more teeth, Sarah, Abraham, or Isaac? I don't know. 
There's lots of questions when a 90-year-old has a baby. You know, did she go to the maternity ward or the geriatric ward? I don't know. But it's a fun story. 90-year-old. God keeps his promises. 90-year-old. But today we're talking about Sarah and Hagar. I've never preached on Hagar before. And her situation, to, to really understand Sarah Hagar's situation, you have to go to Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, the Bible says in verse 2, God comes to Abram. At this point, Abraham is called Abram. Sarah is called Sarai. And in Genesis 12, verse 2 and 3, God comes to Abram and says this, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who curse you, whoever curses you, or I will bless those who bless you, whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God is giving Abram the promise that he's going to be the father of a great nation. So Abram and Sarai, they have a promise of God. He's going to be the father of a great nation. But they also have a problem. Abram, at this point, is 75 years old. Sarai is 65. So, so it's not, they're not spring chickens. They have the promise, I'm going to be with you. You're going to be the father of a great nation. But they have a problem. They're old and getting older. They knew how the, the birds and bees work, and they know that old ladies don't have babies. And so, so their problem is, how in the world could God possibly fix this? All right, fast forward to Genesis 15. In Genesis 15, it's five or six years later. There's a lot of water that has gone underneath the bridge since God came and gave them that promise. In the, in the preceding chapters, 13, 14, uh, the rest of 12, we see that... that Abram and Sarai moved from Ur to, to Canaan. During this time, there's a famine, and, and they have to go to Egypt. And Abram lies, which is always a bad idea, lies and tells Pharaoh, who is thinking that, that Sarah, you know, she's pushing 70, no facelifts, but Sarah is some kind of hottie. And, 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 and so, so Abram lies and says that Sarah is his sister and not his wife that's a bad idea always but they get out of that jam and then there's the whole mess with lot and sodom and gomorrah and his wife turning into a pillar of salt and ah and we get to genesis 15 and again god made that promise genesis 12 you're gonna be father of a great nation that's the promise but the problem is still the problem they don't have any kids no youngins have been born and it seems like Abram is having a bit of a faith crisis. And so God comes to him in 15.1 and says, Don't be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield and your very great reward. Now you would think he would take that and say, All right! But it seems like Abram is saying, Lord, I know you're my shield. I know you're my great reward. But we still have a problem. And the problem is I'm now in my 80s and Sarah's in her 70s and we still don't have a baby. And if I'm going to be the father of anything, that starts where, that's where it's got to start. And I don't know how in the world this is going to all work out, Lord. You, you get the feeling that Abram has a little bit of Missourian in him. My grandfather was from Mexico, Missouri, before he came to, to Michigan and worked in the car factory. And so I know a little bit about Missouri and a little bit about Missouri twangs. And the show-me state seems to be at work here with Abram. So maybe he had a little bit of Missourian in him and he's saying show me i don't know how in the world god it's easy for you to say all that but we're not spring chickens show me how this is going to work and so in so many ways god says all right abram come with me and he takes him outside and he says look up and tell me what you see and abram looked up and he said well i see stars i see a million stars and god said exactly right and that's how your offspring will be 
And again, that old Missourian Abram scratches his head and said, Lord, I don't, I don't know a lot about babies, but you don't get them by counting the stars in the sky. That's not how it works. And Sarah, she's not, she's not a young, young chicken anymore, and, and I'm getting old myself, and I'm in the 80s, and so I don't know how, how, show me, Lord, show me, how is this ever going to work? And so in verse 7 of that chapter, God comes to him and says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you the possession and take this land. And he said, I know, I know. And there, verse 8, Abram responds and says, Sovereign Lord, how can I know? Show me, Lord, show me. How can I know that I can take possession of this land? And so then, in the remarkable passage in the Old one of the most remarkable passages is Genesis 15. In those days... If you were going to make a deal, sign a contract with someone, you didn't have uh, three papers and sign it in triplicate, you know, and get your lawyers to check it all out, make sure the T's are crossed and the di- I's are dotted. No, what they would do is they would take an animal, a goat or a heifer, and they'd split it in two. And they would, would place either side of that bloody carcass uh, on, on either side, and the person would walk through it. The person who was making the deal... And the first person would say, may what has happened to these animals happen to me if I don't keep my end of the bargain. And then the second party would go through that split carcass and say the same thing. May, may what has happened to these animals happen to me if I don't keep my end of the bargain. And so in Genesis 15, God tells Abram not to just have a goat or a heifer, but it says get a heifer and a goat and a ram and a dove and a pigeon and split them all in two. And then, and then uh, represented by a, a pot, a, a flaming pot with a torch, this smoldering pot goes through those carcasses of the animals. And that pot represents God. And it's as if God is saying, Abram, if I don't keep my word, may I be split in two like these animals. Now at that point, Abram was supposed to go through, right? That's the two-party deal. That's how way, way it goes. The one goes through, then the other goes through. But in this story, Abram never goes through. It's as if God is saying, Abram, I'm going to keep my end of the bargain. And if I don't keep my end of the bargain, may I be split in two. But then he says, Abram, if you don't keep your end of the bargain, I'm going to be split in two. And, and, and we know what happens. We know the story. It's exactly like that. Abram's descendants, Abraham's descendants, they don't keep their end of the bargain. They don't follow God. They don't trust God. As, as you read through the, the, the Old Testament, hopefully you're doing our community Bible read and you're going to be in the first five books. And just even in those first five books, you're going to see that the people of God turn their back on God again and again and again and again. And Moses leads them out of Egypt and they, they, can't get, they can get out physically out of Egypt, but they can't get Egypt out of them. And we'll see that over and over again through the prophets over and over again. And God, in response, does not go all Noah on them and send another flood. He doesn't go Sodom and Gomorrah and wipe us all out. Instead, what God does to keep his end of the bargain and keep Abram's end of the bargain, he sends his son who went to Calvary so that what happened to those animals would happen to him. That's the powerful moment in this Abrahamic covenant. So that's in Genesis 15. So you would think, Genesis 12, we get the promise, you're going to be the father of a great nation. Genesis 15, God comes and says, man, I keep my promises. You can count on it. You can bank it. And Genesis 16, we would think that the Bible would read, and so Abram and Sarah said, wow, God really does keep his promises. We can trust him. 
but that's not what it says. Genesis 16, verses 2 and 3. The Bible says, The Lord, and this is Sarah speaking to Abram, The Lord kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave, Hagar. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And Abram agreed to what Sarai said. Instead of trusting God, instead of trusting his, his, his provisions, his, his timing, all the rest, Sarah and Abram decide to, to fix it on their own, to take matters into their own hands. That's never a good idea. And so 86-year-old Abraham becomes father to Ishmael, Hagar's baby. They fixed the problem, but they created a bunch more of other problems. All right, fast forward again to Genesis 21. Genesis 21 is when Sarah finally, finally, finally has her baby, and God keeps his promises, and Sarah has Isaac. The baby's been born. Abraham is now 100 years old. Sarah is 90 years old. And it's crazy and unbelievable. A happy, happy day. Genesis 21 begins very happy. And Sarah says, Now the Lord the, uh, was gracious to Sarah, and, and as he had said, and the, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. God keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. God always, always, always keeps his promises. You can trust him. He keeps his promises. He's a promise-keeping God. And here, to Sarah, he, he showed once again, he is a promise-keeping God. He made that promise you know, 25 years ago, and he kept his promise. It didn't seem possible. It didn't seem likely. It didn't seem uh, it would be incredible for it to come true. But God keeps his promises. And in verse 2 of that, you can tell how God's timing is perfect. Verse 2 says, Sarah became pregnant, bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time. If you're an underliner in your Bible person, you should, you should underline at the very time, at the precise moment, at the best time, at the perfect time. That's when Isaac was born. You've heard me say it before. God is rarely early. He's never late. He's always right on time. And he's right on time here. It's the perfect time. God's timing is always right. It's the perfect time. Now, I suppose maybe Sarah would have said, well, the perfect time would have been, Lord, you know, 60 years ago when I was 30, not 90. Who knows what would have happened 60 years prior? Maybe 60 years earlier when Sarah was 30 and Abraham was was 40, maybe they weren't spiritually mature enough to have Isaac. Obviously, Abraham was lying to, to, to Pharaoh even into his 80s, and so... So they probably weren't, maybe they weren't spiritually mature enough way back then. Or maybe the political climate wasn't good. They were living in Ur and, and, and times were troubled. Maybe, maybe Isaac would have picked the wrong friends 60 years prior. Maybe, who knows? And certainly, certainly God couldn't display his power and might if 30-year-old Sarah had the baby instead of 90-year-old Sarah having the baby. All I'm saying is God's timing is perfect. And for Sarah to have the baby at age 90 was the exact time the the best time, the only time, at the right time for her to have that baby. Sometimes we don't think that God's timing is right. We wonder. And, and there'll be times, I suppose, we'll have to wait until we get to heaven to know why God chose the route God chose. But know this, God sees the big picture. We don't. And God understands the multitude of nuances to a particular situation. We don't. And God is perfectly aware of how, how every aspect of, of the situation affects this person, that person, and every person, both now and forever. We aren't even close to that. God is God, we aren't. God is sovereign, we aren't. And the bottom line to all this is, is we can trust God. Again, he's proven himself. He is, he is a promise-keeping God. 
And we see that in, in, in 21, and Abraham and Sarah see that, and so they, they rejoice that, that, that their baby has been born, Isaac has been born, and verse 4 is one of those beautiful pictures of the mom and dad dedicating their son. Now in Genesis, the way they dedicated their son was through circumcision. For us, we have baby dedications or infant baptisms, but really it's the same concept, saying this child has been dedicated, this child is given over to God. And in verse 6, Sarah responds with, with her joy and says, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. I suppose that was probably true. Can you imagine her pushing the baby buggy at the grocery store? Oh, isn't that baby? You've got a cute little grandbaby. Not my grandbaby. Oh, you've got a cute little great-great-grandbaby. Not my great-great-grandbaby. This is my baby. What? Imagine, she has a great attitude here. You know, she's, she's talking about the laughter and joy. So often when circumstances come our way, we want to complain. Oh, man, what in the world? You know, 90 years old and having a baby. I think Sarah understood that if God could work a miracle and provide a baby for a 90-year-old, then God would give her the strength and the energy to chase after that little whippersnapper even as she reaches 100 and more. If God could work a miracle here, God would work a miracle there. And so she's talking about the joy and the laughter and, the, and the, 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 the way that God worked in all of these things. And you can see the sheer amazement in verse 7 when she says, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Yahoo! The scoffers would have said, 90-year-old women don't have babies. 90 year, there is no way. That is impossible. Scoffers also would have said that the Red Sea can't open for the children of Israel to go through and the walls of Jericho uh, stay up. They don't come tumbling down and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego should have been you know, toast in the fiery furnace and Daniel should have been a lion's lunch and a little boy shouldn't have been able to take his lunch and feed 5,000 people and blind Bartimaeus should have stayed blind and Lazarus should have stayed dead and that rock in front of the tomb of Jesus should have stayed there. God works the impossible, that's the point. God works in ways we can't understand. God's ways we can trust. And usually it's right here is when we, you know, sing our chorus and get out of church. You know, this is the end. But in Genesis 21, it's not the end. In fact, it, it doesn't end with the yippee. It moves on to Hagar. Remember, the sermon is about Sarah and Hagar. What happened to Hagar? Well, we can, we can read what happens next in 21 in verses 9 and 10. But Sarah saw that son, Ishmael, whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham, was mocking. And she said to Abram, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance of my son Isaac. Whew! From joy to... You know, what in the world? I don't know what's going on here. Ishmael at this point is 12 or 13. I already have apologized to our junior high boys. I, you know, we've had junior high boys. We had two junior high boys. I know sometimes they can be annoying. No offense. Sometimes, you know, they can say uh, dumb things. No offense. Sometimes they can do dumb things, you know. Maybe she looked over and Ishmael's giving noogies to his neighbor, giving wedgies, whatever, you know, junior high boys. I don't know, but she wasn't happy. Or maybe, maybe, maybe. She looked over at Ishmael and, and he reminded her of when Abraham and her just tried to remedy things with, on their own. Or maybe it was a simple case of jealousy and she was jealous of Hagar. I don't know what it was, but she put her foot down and she said, it's either her or me. And Abraham said, all right, you gotta go. 
then what happens next is Hagar and her teenage son set off. And the Bible tells us they go into a desert. And so it goes from bad to worse. And, and what's worse is they run out of water and they're in a desert and there's no one around and they're left to die. And this is where, what happens next in verse 15. When the water in the skin was gone, she, Hagar, put the boy under one of the bushes. Again, he's not a baby boy. He's 13, 14 years old. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away. And she thought, can't watch my boy die. And she sat there and she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven. And he said to her, what is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up, take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Now the Bible doesn't say, it doesn't say anything that, that, that Hagar was praying. It just says that she was, was distraught. She's sobbing. Of course she would be. She thinks her son, her, her only son, is going to die of thirst there in the desert. It's a terrible situation. It doesn't say anything that she prayed. And I think that's my point. God heard her unarticulated prayer. You know, you don't, you don't have to pray for God to know what's going on in your life. You don't have to pray just so God will get clued in to what's going on in your life. God already knows. And sometimes, sometimes, sometimes we don't even know how to pray. We don't even know what to pray. But that's all right. God knows where our heart is at. I've told you before my dad's story. When he became a Christian and only been in church once, and he went home and prayed some kind of prayer that God would enter into his life. He, I don't, who knows what he prayed? But God heard it. That's the point. God hears us. God hears us. Ishmael's name literally means God hears. So God hears us when we don't know what to pray. God hears us when we don't even know how to pray. God hears us. So Hagar is sobbing, weeping. She doesn't have an answer to this situation. She doesn't have a remedy for this situation. And she's upset. Of course she would be. Folks, you may, you may have kids or grandkids or parents or brothers or sisters or whomever that you're worried about too. And maybe you don't have a, a remedy for their situation. Here's the point. We can trust our loved ones with God Almighty. We can trust our children with God Almighty. When my boys were younger, we did everything we could, like any parent, to protect our boys, right? We taught them, you know, you don't play in the street. You don't go off with strangers. We taught them the important thing, things of life. You cheer for Michigan Wolverines. We taught them the important things of life. You know, we didn't let them. Uh, we, we did our best to protect them. But now they're grown. They live in Kansas City. We're not around. And, and I think God has had to teach me that lesson that, that, that we can't always swoop in to rescue them. In fact, it's not even good for us to do that. For, as if God would say, say, Rob, how are they going to learn to trust me if every time they have a problem, you just swoop in to try to rescue them? How are they ever going to learn to, to walk with me if you, if you think you have to step in every single time trouble comes along? It's saying that we can trust, and Hagar's learning, she can trust her child, Ishmael, but we can trust our children. We can trust God with our grandchildren or our friends or our neighbors. We can trust God because God loves them a whole lot more than even we do. That's the point. So God comes to Hagar and says this, lift the boy up, take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. 
Notice the divine partnership that is taking place here. God didn't just come and infuse Ishmael with some hydration, didn't hook him up to an IV, nothing like that. He said, Hagar, here's the deal. You lift him up, you take him by the hand, and I'll make him into a great nation. You do your part, Hagar, and I'll do my part. I think that's what God calls us to do as well. For our loved ones, for our kids, grandkids, loved ones that we have, you do your part. Live before them a godly life. Do your best to raise them in a, in a Christian home. Model before them what it means to follow Jesus. All those things. You do your part. God will do his part. Now again, there's free will involved, and I don't mean to say that God will overstep their free will, but I believe that God gives our loved ones, as we pray for them, as we care for them, as we model before them Christian living, God gives them every opportunity to serve him and follow after him. That's just the way it works. We can leave all of the rest to God. So God is calling Hagar to be in this partnership. And then I think my favorite part of this whole verse, or this whole section, is the 19th verse. Hagar is sobbing. God comes to her, speaks to her. And then 19 says this. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. Remember the scene. Ishmael is under a bush, dying of thirst. Hagar is sobbing, distraught, can't even articulate a prayer. God comes to her and says, hears her unarticulated prayers, comes to her and and, and says to her, I'm going to be at work. And then, God doesn't just plop a well down. I don't think that's what this verse is saying. That God, you know, drilled a well while she was sobbing and water came gushing out. That's not it. The Bible says that God opened her eyes so that she could see the well. The answer to her immediate need, her kid is dying of thirst, was there all the time. She didn't see it. I think think she was so distraught. Sometimes you can be so distraught over circumstance. You can be so filled with grief. You can be so disappointed. You can be so, uh, life can be so heavy. And you're so consumed by looking at that problem, constantly looking, looking, looking only at that problem. You miss the promise of God. And sometimes the answer is right there. We don't even see it. We don't even, we're not even, we're so consumed with the problem, we don't see that God has provided the remedy. And sometimes what we need to do is just pray, Lord, open my eyes to see the blessings around me. Help me to get my focus off my problems and onto the blessings. Help me to get my focus off of those things that are tearing me down and get me to looking to you who lifts me up. That's the point. See, Sarah and Hagar are wonder women for the day. Both needed lessons from the Lord. Sarah's lesson, she needed to learn that God's timing is right. That she could trust his timing. When they stepped outside of that, when they tried to do things on their own, that's when they got in trouble. God's timing is always perfect. She needed to learn that she could trust God, trust God, trust God. He's a God that keeps his promises and just trust him. Hagar's problem was she was consumed by by her lack and she needed to learn that God provides. God always provides. His provisions are there. And she needed to learn that she needed to trust him, trust him, trust him. Same lesson. Thank you, Lord. Help us to, to learn to trust your timing, to, to count and, and trust your provisions. Help us to be your people, whether things are going our way or not, whether it seems like things are working out or not. Help us to trust you in all times. You do the impossible. You work in ways we cannot see. We're trusting you always. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.